And uh, I encourage you, if you would, to take your Bible and turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Thank you, Josh. Colossians chapter 3. As we talk about how a Christian should think, part 2. I think this is so important as we look around the world and we see all that's going on and how quickly things are changing. It's important that we have a biblical response to these things and know how to think as Christians. I think it's so important. So you said last week we become what we think. But before we read those scriptures, let's just pray for some of the needs of the folks in our church. Father, my heart is heavy for some of these folks, even some in our midst that are going through difficulties in their life. I think it's Steve Belk and just be with Twyla and Ryan and Laney and Jesse, Lord, and just... Uh, Be with them at this time as uh, Steve's there in the hospital. We pray for the doctors to keep them comfortable and give them wisdom on what to do next steps to help Steve. Think of Ian. We pray you continue to help him as he goes through the chemo treatment, Ian Fink. And we just pray you would continue to give him the energy and the strength and keep his focus upon you through this time of trial and tribulation. For Ken Rolfs and for Carol Erda, Lord, as they have their own physical infirmities, and we just know that uh, you're the great physician, and you working in their hearts and lives, spiritually and physically, and we pray that you would just bring healing according to your will and your time. And Lord, now as we uh, think of these uh, things today, we know we can't go in depth or detail, we can't exhaust all the things of these points, but I pray that they would be poignant, they'd be powerful, and they would speak to our hearts and lives as we try to... uh, navigate ourselves through this world that's ever darkening so that we can have the hope and the love and the joy of Christ in our lives. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, the apostle Paul's the writer, and he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Well, we don't live in an age of subtlety anymore. Uh, Evil is right there, present in front of us each and every day, if we're honest. And we see the effects on people and on our culture. And the, and the, the way we do life is being redefined daily before our very eyes. We see some of the headlines of this past week. The verdict for the prosecution against Derek Chauvin was very extreme, and you can have your opinion on that. The microaggression cases on our university campuses and the lawsuits to have freedom of speech. Sexual identity, gender orientation issues, and the challenge, one of the things they're talking about, can transgendered people compete with people if they have changed their sexual identity? Climate change, voting laws, infrastructure bill, making Washington, D.C. the 51st state, Black Lives Matter, and white supremacy. Our world system is trying to renew the mind of our generation and the next generation. It's so vitally important that we give a principled and biblical response to these sticky and thorny issues. We may not be able to turn right to Scripture and speak directly with black and white answers, But we do have principles there that guide us, and we can have a dialogue and active listening going on to give others a persuasive view of how the Bible speaks to a particular issue. I believe and I hope that you do as well that the Bible is inspired. 
It's authoritative, and it gives us the answers for all the things we need in this life. And so we need to be busy sharing it boldly with others in a loving way. It's called speaking the truth in love. Now, the battle that's raging for the minds and souls of the next generation is going on. It's even attempting to pull in those of us who are even older and been strong in the faith for many years. But whoever wins in developing the worldview of the next generation will define our country, could define Western civilization, and could define reality as we know it today. Abraham Lincoln, I've given you this quote before, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And that's so true, and we're seeing that happen right before our eyes. The battle is also winning over the minds and hearts of people in all generations. So it's a critical time for our nation's history and for people, for everyone, as we think about these difficult things that we're facing. That's why this purpose statement for this message is so important Every Christ follower, we must discipline our minds to fight the battle victoriously over the flesh, over the world system, and over Satan himself. Folks, it's very difficult to live holy lives and separate ourselves from the world's philosophies. We have to teach the deep truths of God's word, and we have to explain and demonstrate that these truths work in our lives, and that we are discerning and critical thinkers through the lens of a biblical worldview. I think it's interesting, as I teach over at Scott Community College, my department head, my boss, one of the things that he's been tasked with is to help all of us do a better job at teaching students how to critically think. And uh, in fact, we had to take a big, large segment of our opening lecture of the, of the first class of the semester, talk about critical thinking. And I've had some opportunity to interact and give him some resources as well. And so we see how important it is to be discerning of what's going on. Aaron Barfels and I were talking about a speaker that we heard recently that as a father, he offered his kids a dollar that when every time they're watching an entertainment program, that they can see something that's false or unbiblical in the philosophy they're, uh, they're portraying in the entertainment they're watching. We would go broke today, wouldn't we, if we weren't careful about that, right? But stunning new results from the American Worldview Inventory 2020, George Barna, found that the number of Americans who believe the Bible is true is down by 21 percentage points since the year 2000. This parallels similarly, propitiously, 50% decrease in the biblical worldview in America over the same time period. So from 2000 to 2021, those who espoused a biblical worldview have gone from 12% to 6%, according to Barna's research. He explained that the weak linkage between Bible appreciation, church affiliation, and biblical worldview is concerning to see among young people. You'll see this quote on the screen. He said this, remember, people do what they believe. This research underscores the fact that growing numbers of people are moving away from believing that the Bible is true, relevant and valuable for our lives. Christian churches cannot keep doing what we've been doing in ministry for the past 30 years and assuming that things will get better. To reverse the declining incidence of a biblical worldview, new strategies for teaching and spiritual accountability are required. So we have to think out of the box. We have to look at things differently. We have to know how to better connect with people. And one of the things I keep hearing is we need to be active listeners at first and let them share their perspective to give us the opportunity to 
build trust to give our perspective as well. So you and I, we have to avoid the slow creep of the world into our lives so that slow erosion will not take place, which will end up being a huge sinkhole of consequence in the future. So let's take a quick review of where we were last week. And if you have your notes, these are there. Learning about how should a Christian think. We talked about, number one, the purpose for our lives here on earth is to glorify God. We talked about how important that is. That's the chief end of man, to glorify God and then be in a joyful relationship forever. Second of all, we said the problem with thinking is the world, the flesh, and the devil would have us think. We talked about how some of the things, ends justify the means, pragmatism, success, achievement, all these things. If we buy into these things, it's going to devastate us spiritually in the end. Then the power of thinking is God would have us think. We behave as a result of what we think. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We must allow God to transform our mind, Romans 12, 2. We need to think through the filter of God's word, and we gave you some questions from Philippians 4, 8 to apply to your life. But now today we're going to move on to these uh, 10 points of view quickly to build a foundation for our thoughts on a daily basis. And as I was putting this together at the end, I realized these are many things that have been instilled and installed into my life throughout my life just to make sure that I am focused on God's word and I hope they're beneficial to you. Many of these things are probably something you've heard in the past. But as you go through these 10 things quickly, I encourage you to look in your heart and say, what is it that I need to renew or strengthen in my thought process? First of all, very importantly, number one, and it should be the priority, is that we need to live with the understanding that our thought processes have been deeply affected by the sin nature we receive at birth. That statement alone is controversial in our culture today. But we have to have that understanding from a biblical perspective that we are born with a sinful nature. The teaching of the depravity of man, man's fall from grace due to original sin, is of the utmost importance. To minimize this or to make light of it or reject, is rejecting the work of Christ on the cross. Why would he have to do all that if sin is not a big issue? The horrific nature of Christ's death is attributable to the depth and the cost of our sin. The fall resulted in physical death leading to eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. And as a result of the fall of man, we now have to deal with cancer. We have to deal with Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, pneumonia, COVID-19, blindness, deafness, learning disabilities, Down syndrome, and autism. We also have to deal with the guilt in our hearts due to our sin and realize that we're liable before God for punishment. It tells us in James 2.10, so we talked about in our group in Awana last Wednesday night, James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But do we really believe that? Do we really understand that in our hearts? In Romans 5, 17 through 19, I encourage you to take a moment and turn your Bible over there. Romans 5, 17 through 19, as we talk about the first Adam and the second Adam, the contrast between the two, the need for the second Adam to come as a result of the first Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. 
Paul, the Apostle Paul against the writer, and he says in verse 17 of Romans 5, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass from Adam led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see the contrast? You see the importance of Jesus coming and dying on the cross to give us uh, a condom, condemnation-free life because of our relationship with him. We are polluted and corrupt people to the core of our soul when we're born. It affects our thinking, our behavior, our view of God, and his scripture to name a few things. So this should lead us to the fact that Jesus is the only answer to overcome the sin battle that rages within us. Now listen closely. We all as human beings, we have common grace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, the sun rises and the sun falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. But those who are not yet Christ followers are capable of also doing good things in our world. But know that those who are not Christ followers yet are tarnished and affected by sin because they are focused on themselves. They're egocentric by nature. And we are too. We just have the Holy Spirit as the antidote to help us to have the power over that. But those folks who are not yet Christ followers do not have that. This means for the focus of this message that apart from Christ, our reasoning and our thinking are tainted. So while we're on this side of heaven, we as followers in Christ, we're going to have to battle. We're going to have to wage war against the desires of the flesh until we breathe our last breath. Sorry for the bad news, but it is bad news. But the good news is that through the power of the cross and Christ's resurrection, we as Christ followers can gain victory over our sin and our thought life in this current culture that we live in. Think of it, if Jesus had to be beaten to have a crown of thorns jammed on his head until he bled, that he was nailed to a cross and died a humiliating death, he did that for all of us in the world, how bad must humankind's sin be before a holy and righteous God? Second of all, we need to focus on the unfiltered truth God gives us that reveals the flaws and deceptions in our thinking. We need that unfiltered truth that God gives us that reveals the flaws and deceptions in our thinking. Having said the previous point, it is so vitally important we understand how we are not to think in contrast to how we should think. I'm going to encourage you to take your Bible, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at some passages today. To drive home these points, Ephesians 4, look at verse 17. I love the contrast that Paul puts here in this section of Scripture. Paul says now in verse 17, Ephesians 4, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's saying those that are not believers, those who are the pagans around them. That's who he's speaking about. No longer walk as the Gentiles do, verse 17, in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. 
They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. What an amazing passage. We can, like a coat, take off the old self and put on a new coat with the power of the Holy Spirit to have the mindset of Christ, to have the imputed righteousness that God gives to each and every one of us as believers. This week I was listening to In the Market with Janet Parshall and Dr. Everett Piper was on. He was, the, he's, he was a former president of the Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He was there 17 years. He wrote a best-selling book called Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, a book I'd like to read. He said that after over 30, 40 years of time in the public education system, in our classroom, we've taught self-absorption and narcissism. We've taught self-actualization, he said, versus self-evident truths. And we've taught selfishness instead of a need for a savior. You know, the classroom, the pulpit, and the parents, he said, have been affected by this teaching. Truth in the classroom has been, uh, the facts have been diminished and emotions have been elevated. The church has become an affirming church rather than a confessing church to the conscience of the culture around us. Parents, many have become helicopter parents who are overprotective or excessive interest in the life of their child or children. We need to be reminded that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword and goes through the bone and the marrow to the right intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. A scripture that challenges me every time I read it, Isaiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I can't even understand all the depths of my heart, but God can. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit to point out the things in our life that we need to bring, back, bring us back to where we need to be. I need the word of my life. I need to read it and hear it. I can so easily, easily deceive myself. And I think if you're honest, you know you can as well. But we constantly need the word to pull us back to the center of seeking first the kingdom of God. And it happened to me just a couple hours ago at 6.15. I'm reading John 15. And it says there, Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And the emphasis was it's not about activity. It's about the relationship. That the more intimate relationship you have with God, that he will produce the fruits in your life. And sometimes I put the activity ahead of the abiding. So we need the word of God to pull us back, to keep us centered. Devotionals are great. I use them. Christian authors who write books on subjects and talk about the Bible are fantastic. But we just also need the word of God and know that as we read it, this is the love letter that God has written to each and every one of us to speak to our hearts and our lives. We need that untainted, um, uh, filter, unfiltered word of God that's a void of human opinion. You know, sports athletes, they use Gatorade and Powerade, and that's good, but ultimately your body, what works best is water, just that pure water. And so it is with us. We need the pure water of the word. We need that constant reminder to read the unfiltered truth of 
God's word and look into the mirror of it to see a true reflection of the condition of our hearts and to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Number three, as we think about things and perspective of how to think as a Christian, we need to die to self in order to have a growing spiritual life with God. We need to die to self in order to have a growing spiritual life with God. Many of the teachings of the Bible and Jesus run counterintuitive to how we think or want to live as human beings. We think preserving our status and bettering ourselves, as the world describes it, will help us to achieve the success we want in life. We're going to see a one-minute video clip from Tom Brady, 2005, after he's won his third Super Bowl with the New England Patriots. He's being interviewed on 60 Minutes, and he's talking about his level of success and what that has meant to him. So go ahead, Banyu. Play that video, if you would, please. And, and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. But there's a, I know, I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. And different ways of expression, being around. I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with, with great people. And I think I get more out of that than anything. So he's still, even after three Super Bowls, and I don't know where he is today spiritually, he's still trying to find success and ultimate satisfaction in his life. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Daily, you and I, we have to kind of crawl up onto that altar to be a living sacrifice, as it talks about in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And we have to get up on that altar and every morning say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We have to sit sometimes on our selfish nature and say no to what we want to do for ourselves and follow the Holy Spirit for the betterment of our family. What is the best for the team at work or the, the sports team that we're a part of or the common good of the church family? We have to learn to react to situations in a Christ-like manner. We cannot let our emotions get the best of us. So the way to God's blessing, joy, and happiness in this life is being willing to give of ourselves to God and others. We have to remind ourselves of that on a daily basis. The fourth thing we need to understand as we 
think like a Christian. We need to understand that suffering leads to more intimacy with God. Suffering leads to more intimacy with God. Now, I'll be the first to say I do not volunteer for trials and tribulations to come into my life. And I've had plenty of those throughout the years. But you know what? I've learned so much in those times, those dark nights of the soul, that I've experienced God in ways I never could any other way. And I think of Psalm 42, and I've given you a lot of scriptures there for you to to look at. But I hope your heart's desire is Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The writer is hungry for that, that actually he would love to have a face-to-face contact with his heavenly father. But he describes the thirst for God, his desire and his earnestness for him. Two Psalms, Psalm 62 and Psalm 63. When I was going through some really difficult times, I would read these every day. Sometimes on my break at lunch at work. In Psalm 62, 1, it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. That no matter what you're going through, remember who is in charge, who is ultimately in control of your life. Psalm 63, 1 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You think about Job. We read all those chapters, 42 chapters, and all the suffering that he went through. And even toward the end, he was challenging God. And, of course, God had a heart-to-heart talk with them and kind of, you know, deflated his ego very much. And so in Psalm 42, as a result of that conversation with God, Job said this, I had heard of you by hearing of the ear. But now, through all these sufferings and trials and tribulation, my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God brought him to the right perspective, but he also built that intimate relationship with him. So in the dark nights of your soul, remember the anchor is God and your relationship with him. There's nothing in this life that can sustain you like knowing that God has your back and understanding the Old Testament word has said. The Hebrew word has said, which means God's loyal and faithful love for you personally in your life. That is a powerful Hebrew word throughout the Old Testament. So it's beyond words to explain how important this is to have an ongoing, vibrant relationship with God and to be in communication with him as you go through your day, sharing life with him as you journey on your path to meeting him one day face to face. Number five, we need to see that suffering leads to perpetual joy. Again, another counterintuitive thought. You wouldn't think suffering would be a way to gain joy. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, this verse up on the screen. See that suffering leads to perpetual joy. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, Paul speaking, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That is a powerful verse. As the believers in Thessalonica followed Paul as he taught them, and of course as he followed Christ, they were trying to emulate the spiritual part of his life. They faced tremendous persecution. 
They were following a monotheistic God, one God, in a world that had all kinds of polytheism around them, many gods. But yet they were not only saying that one God, he's superior over all gods, all time, all cultures. And so this caused a lot of friction in society that they were in. But notice in this verse that they received the word of God in much affliction. They received it with joy in the Holy Spirit. The very thing that caused their persecution, their suffering, their loss of job, their separation from family members, being ostracized from society because of their identity with Christ, brought them the most joy in their life. This is something that must not only become a thought, but by experiencing God in the midst of affliction and persecution, you have that emotional sense of joy. It's like a current that runs through your life despite the circumstances around you. You just have the sense that God is in control and everything in the end will turn out all right. Folks, as believers in Christ, we're going to need to hang on and endure with the sense of joy and peace in our souls. It's better to be obedient to who Christ wants us to be and receive his affirmation than the affirmation and the accolades of man. If we have to compromise for that, then we need to be obedient to Christ. That has to get into your mind, your heart, your soul, beyond just an intellectual thought in your mind. Well, those are first of, of the first five of the ten thoughts we need to hang on to as we think, as a Christian should think. We're going to very briefly look at the last five as we continue. Number six, we need to see men and women from the perspective of Scripture. Boy, this is so important as we are inundated with all the talk in our culture about how we should see one another. We need to see through the lens or the perspective of Scripture. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's the bad news, and we already talked about that. But then he adds the writer here, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. A prophecy that Christ would come and he would uh, put the sins of the world upon himself and overcome the depravity of man and give us hope and power past the grave. We need to have the mindset that we're all sinners in the world. And we need to be reminded the only difference between those who are not yet believers and us is the fact that we have come to a saving knowledge of Christ through the gospel, and yet they have not. It says, all like sheep, we're, we were all in that flock at one time, and yet Christ died for all. So while we have to humble ourselves and come to God on his terms, admit that we're sinners, turn away from our sin, put our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, the gospel is open to anyone who will receive it. You see, we need to be like those four lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7. They were in Samaria. And of course, the lepers had this disease that was extremely contagious. And what happened? They were put outside the walls of the city there. They were not allowed to associate with their family members. When people came by them, they had to yell unclean so that people would stay away from them. And they pretty much lived off of the scraps that people would give them whenever they could find in the city dump to live off of. Well, there was a severe famine in the land in 2 Kings chapter 7. And so these four lepers looking around, they're like, okay, we're either going to starve to death if we stay here, or maybe we turn ourselves into the enemy in their camp, and maybe they'll show mercy on us. So they head off, 
And they find out that God did something miraculous and scared the enemy. And they left the camp and left all their spoils, their food, their wealth, their treasures. And they ran off. And here's these four lepers. They're in this uh, camp in these tents. And they have all these things. And they're beginning to hoard it for themselves. And in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 9, one of them said this, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Hey, it's wrong for us to keep this all to ourselves. We know that there's people back there that are starving. Yeah, they've ostracized us, they've mistreated us. But we want to share the mercy and the blessing and provision for, with them as well. And so you and I, in a sense, when we come to Christ, we're like those starving beggars who found the food. And we didn't just find the food, we found the continuing source of food. In John chapter 4, as Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, we found the continual flow of living water that he offers to her. We're to be like those lepers, to lead other lepers to the treasures found in knowing Christ as Savior. Remember, no one is beyond the grace and the mercy of God. No one. We are no better than anyone else. We've just had the privilege of finding and experiencing the grace of God in our lives. Number seven, we need to see that life will have its fill of challenges and blessings. And that's the road. That's the journey. We're going to have the fun times. We're going to have the blessing times. We're going to have the mountaintop experiences. Man, I remember all those years going to Christian camp, and you come home, and you're on fire for God, and what an exciting time. And a few weeks later, you're like, what happened? The joy is gone, you know? The fun isn't there anymore. We have that roller coaster experience in the Christian life. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So we have to have the mindset that when troubles come, it's an opportunity for growth. It's not a matter of if they will come. It's a matter of when they will come. And we need to say, Lord, when those times come, what am I to experience in this time? What is it you're trying to teach me through these trials and these tribulations? And also to say, Lord, I'm thankful that you said you will walk through this with me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. So we need to accept the purpose for the trials and tribulations. Look at James 1, 2 through 4 sometime. Talking about counting it all joy. To build perseverance in our life. To bring us to maturity. When you expect storms to come, you prepare for them. You may have to endure the full brunt of the storm and wait it out so God can achieve in us what he wants to do in you for you to experience and what you can learn from that time of difficulty. Number eight, we need to see that everyone is made in the image of God. That seems like an easy statement. But as we deal with, you know, the issues in our culture with Black Lives Matter and the talk of white supremacy and all these things, transgenderism, we need to see that everyone is made in the image of God. In Genesis 1:27, a verse I'm sure many of you know well, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You and I, we're all created by God, everyone. We're all part of the human race. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, if you 
puncture your skin, we're all going to bleed red, right? Because we're all part of the human race. We must treat each other with dignity and respect to honor the one who created each and every human being. As you honor them, you're honoring God because he is their creator. And we need to celebrate our diversity and not let it divide us. God made us all different and unique. And it's more than the color of our skin. It's our personalities. It's everything about us. We celebrate our diversity and don't let it divide us. We need these four thoughts more than ever going forward as Christians and promote a dialogue and spread these thoughts to other people as well. Number nine, we need to live with the thought that we are not an island to ourselves. Everything is about self-actualization, improving self in our culture. Man is at the center of getting better for himself, pulling himself up by his own bootstraps. We just need yoga. We need more education. Fill in the blank. That's the answer to the world system. It's all about us. And we don't necessarily need other people. But the Bible says, as Christians, we need to live with the thought that we are not an island to ourselves. Romans 14, 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. And remember whose you are. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Two things quickly. How you think and behave matters to those around you. All of us have others who look to us, either because of our position of authority or because we have an influence on their life. Your life influences somebody else's life. And so we need to live as Christ would live, considering others before ourselves. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, as I just read, you carry around with you as a Christ follower the Holy Spirit everywhere you go. He's your constant witness. He's your constant companion. He is there, and he is witnessing everything you're doing, but he's also there for you to get advice and counsel and comfort from in your time of need. We're not to live just for ourselves, but live for others and live for Christ. And lastly, because of that, we need to live with the thought that we will all give an account at the end of our life. We're going to all give an account. There's going to be a final exam. And Hebrews 9.27 says that that we, there's a day, there's a time, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Romans 14, 12 says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The Bible, this is our textbook. This is what the final exam is going to be about. Life is the classroom. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. The Father is our tutor through life, our constant companion and it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10 as Christians that Jesus will be our final examiner or judge at the end of life. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of how we used our lives to glorify the Father. We read in Revelation there's going to be a day where every human being, believer or non-believer, will stand before God and they will give an account. And for the Non-believer, God will say, what have you done with my Jesus? Did you receive him? Did you accept him as Lord and Savior or not? Our key thought for this message is this. If we hold these truths in our minds and hearts, they'll become implanted in our hearts and will control our thoughts and decisions that will glorify God. These things need to be 
in the background of your thought processes as you walk through life, as you look at things from God's perspective. It will help you to think the way God would want you to think and respond in a way that he would want you to. We've said over and over, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our behavior is so uh, connected to our thought processes. We need to think the righteous thoughts of God. There's a story about a young man as we close today. He was graduating from college, and he had been to the car dealership, and he found this beautiful sports car that he wanted as he was graduating from college and knew his dad could afford it, so he no bones about it. He said, Dad, I want this sports car. That's what I want. All I want for graduation is the sports car. Well, he kept looking around for signs as dad bought the sports car as he was approaching his day of graduation. And on the morning of graduation, his dad called him into his private study and said, son, you're a fine man and I'm so proud of you. Here's a graduation gift. And he gave him a gift box and he opened it up And inside was a Bible with his name engraved in gold on the front. Well, he was so enraged by this, he threw the Bible down on his dad's desk and said, thanks for no thanks. Didn't you know that I wanted that sports car? And from that day on, he didn't talk to his father. And he became a very successful businessman. And he ended up having a family. And this is a true story. And he became very well off. And he began to think, as he was getting older, about his dad, who he hadn't seen in all these years. And he was making some arrangements to go visit his dad, who was now very old. As he was making plane reservations, the funeral director called and told him that his dad had passed away, that he was the executor of the will, and he would receive all the proceeds from his vast father's wealth. Well, he made his way there to set up the arrangements and was going through his dad's house, and going through the important documents, and lo and behold, he found that Bible. And he opened that Bible that made him so angry years ago. As he went through that Bible, he saw that his dad underlined this verse in Matthew 7, 11. And if ye, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give to those who ask him? As he was reading that, from the back of the Bible, a key dropped out of the back of the Bible. And he picks the key up, and on it was a tag from that dealership of the sports car that he wanted. And it had the date of his graduation on the tag, and it said, paid in full. Paid in full. Many times during our lifetime, we miss God's blessing because they're not packaged as we expect them to be. Do you have the world's perspective where man is at the center of it all, or do you have God's perspective that's working on your behalf in a loving way to show us the treasures that he has in store for us in this life and the next life as well. Three questions to ponder as we close today. What perspective do you need to focus on this coming week? As you look through those 10 things, maybe one or two things, jump out and say, I need to change my perspective. I've let the world creep in in some area of thinking in my life. Second of all, what do you need to do to develop this to the point it becomes second nature to your thoughts and your value system. You have to repeat those things. And it's amazing over time that it just becomes a part of you, a part of your thought process, if you focus on it for a period of time and build it into your life. And lastly, we read the word of God this week without any filter or bias. 
I don't know about you, but when I sit down to read the Word of God, I ask Him to take every thought out of my mind and take away my agenda and my bias as I go to read the Word so I can hear what His Holy Spirit has to say. And that's a challenge for all of us because we have so many things that crowd our mind, our thinking, the busyness of the day ahead. Do we come and let the unfiltered truth of the Word of God speak to our hearts and lives to get us in the right perspective as we begin our day. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I just come to you and I pray for each one in this room, each one that's watching online. Lord, this message is so applicable in so many ways to our lives. Lord, I just pray that you help us, help us to develop the thought processes that come from you and your word so that, Lord, when we look out to a world who's crying for hope, Someone like Tom Brady who wants to know what's out there beyond the Super Bowl rings. Lord, that we can give them the hope of the gospel that's within us, the thing that will satisfy their soul. Lord, I believe that every human being has that hole in their soul and they're seeking to fill that vacuum, that void. And Lord, that void can only be filled with a relationship with Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us to continue to build that and these thought processes into our lives so that we in turn can help others who are seeking and wanting to know the truth. We just pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.